Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Monday, March 21st, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Stacy and Brooke, and we are going to talk about some books set in Ireland. Um, Brooke actually suggested this as an episode idea last year, um, and we decided to save it for the spring. So here we are talking about books set in Ireland. I'm going to start off with the usual housekeeping information. Then Stacy will start us off, followed by Brooke, and I will end the round. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So when we started to talk about doing an episode about books that are set in Ireland, I knew that the first book I had to talk about is one of my most beloved, beloved reads of all time, a comfort read. I reread it a lot because I love it so. So my first book is going to be Born in Ice, the Born in Trilogy, book two by Nora Roberts. This book is a classic. It came out in the mid 90s and I love it with all my heart. This book is about Brianna Concanon. She lives... Um, in Ireland, she owns a small inn, kind of slash bed and breakfast, except she serves dinner, so I don't really know what you call that. And <laughs> she, it used to be her family home, and now she's made it into this very, very cozy inn. And Brianna has a sister named Maggie, and for all of their lives, Maggie was kind of known as the, the fiery sister and... Brie was kind of known as like the cool, calm, collected, sort of icy sister. She's always so composed. And all she's ever wanted is to run her little inn slash bed and breakfast in a way that makes it feel like the warm home that she always felt that they didn't have as children because of her beastly mother. And so now she is living her dream. She has her little cottage bed and breakfast and she's beginning to grow quite popular because she lives in a really beautiful area and tourists are starting to flock to her bed and breakfast well in the winter time though in Ireland it's not like an ideal time to kind of go and be a tourist because there's lots of snow it's cold it's stormy and yet this year she will have a long-term lodger who will be staying with her for several months. And that is American author Grayson Thane. 
Grayson Thane writes thrillers. He loves being alone. He loves kind of traveling and not being tied down. And he has a very sad past that has turned him into someone who doesn't know how to stay in one place and does not know how to kind of be part of a family, have a lot of like permanent friends. He just is always on the move and writing these best-selling thrillers. And he thinks he's very content with his life of travel and without roots until he steps into an Irish inn on a cold and blustery night and sees the beautiful Brianna and her enormous Irish wolfhound standing at the top of the stairs. I forgot about the wolfhound. Con, yes. And so throughout that winter, they slowly get to know each other, Gray and Bree, and he begins to thaw her reserve and her shyness. And she begins to show him what it feels like to have a true home. And it's all set against the backdrop of gorgeous, gorgeous Ireland. And there are family secrets that come to light in this book that I'm not going to talk about because they are spoilers. And there are, you know, conflicts to be, conflicts that need to be sorted. And there is a romance that cannot be denied. And I love this book so very much. You know, it has sort of like a popular kind of 90s trope the tormented hero and the virginal heroine, but I don't know why it really works very well for me in this book. I love this book and I love how her area of Ireland becomes sort of like another character in the book. Um, All the different descriptions she has of landscapes and castles and oh, it's just so lovely. The town, the pub, it's so great. So if you want to read a good sort of classic Nora Roberts romance, with a tortured hero and a lovely, lovely heroine, please pick up Born in Ice, Born in Number Two by Nora Roberts. Nora Roberts writes Ireland so incredibly well. She does. I totally agree. I want to, because of her and her descriptions, I so want to go visit Ireland. Me too. It's definitely on my top. Um, visitor destinations. So my first book this evening is The Lost Paula McGuire, number one, by Claire McGowan. So our main character's name is Paula, and she is a forensic psychologist. When the book first starts, um, she has been sent to Ireland She originally used to work in London, but now she's been asked to go and work in Ireland where she grew up and two girls have gone missing. And she has to like figure out what has happened. So it's hard to explain this book because I don't want to give away too much, but there's some sort of link that she feels as she's investigating between the disappearance of these two girls and the disappearance of some other people over the years, especially there's some that went missing, I think it's 1985. And so some of the links that they're finding is that there's a possibility of girls made to do things that they aren't, that they don't want to do. 
So I liked the way that they, yeah, but it's like, it also has to do with like the church as well. So I think it's also when girls get pregnant. Yeah. So it's like kind of like there's this seedy side of this community. We learn about like the politics in Ireland between the North and the South. And we're also learning. So there's a whole piece about the IRA and some of the stuff that happened back when that was an issue. So we're learning a lot about Paula and like her growing up. And we're also learning about the environment that she's working in. So it's, this book is very much like a kind of like a setup book in a way. So this is The Lost. Um, it's Paula McGuire, number one, and it's by Claire McGowan. This is on my list. And I- so I have three historicals and one contemporary novel today. So I'm going to start out with The Wonder by Emma Donahue. And it was really hard for me to decide which Emma Donahue book I wanted to talk about because I really love The Pull of the Stars. I love Room. And of course, there is The Wonder. But I decided on The Wonder because that's a book that people don't talk about as much. And I think it tackles a subject that is definitely worth Um, more attention than it gets. So this is set in the Irish Midlands in 1859. And it is about a British nurse named Lib, who is asked to come to this small village, because there's something going on there that people are thinking is either some sort of like medical anomaly, or a straight up miracle. Like no one knows which it is, I guess it depends on what you believe. But apparently there is an 11 year old girl living in a cabin with her family. And supposedly she has not eaten food, any food for like months. That's depressing. Well, yes, but it's like very interesting to people because she's still alive somehow. And so they're wondering, how can this be? Like if you don't eat, consistently for months and months like how how are you alive so this town is kind of in an uproar over this like you have people who are saying you know this is like a sign from god you have other people who are wondering if like this is sort of as they said a a medical anomaly like what are we learning about people and what we need to survive There's a journalist who has come to this village to write about this, and everybody has an opinion. So Lib is asked to come and A, like verify that this child is actually not eating, and B, try and understand if something medical is going on, like what is it? So it appears to her when she first meets Anna that, you know, Anna really is not eating. Um, She lives in the family home. Um, She spends, you know, pretty much all of her time with this child and she never sees her eat. And she's really starting to wonder what's at the root of this. Like, is this uh, some sort of abuse? Like how, how is this person surviving? What, what's happening? 
in the meantime, she's also forming a relationship of sorts with this journalist who has come to investigate this and who's also trying to get to the bottom of what's happening with Anna. Time goes on and it becomes really clear to Lib that if something isn't done, Anna will die. And because like, no matter what anyone says, you can't just keep not eating and expecting that to be okay. And so she hatches a plan to rescue Anna because she is beginning to think that people are somehow using this child to achieve something. And she's not really sure what they're trying to achieve, but she is pretty sure whatever it is, is very bad. So she hatches a plan with this journalist to rescue Anna. And I'm going to leave it there um, because anything else that I would tell you would spoil like a bunch of stuff that you really need to discover for yourself. But Emma Donahue has done such an amazing job of recreating the like rural part of Ireland in the 1850s. And of also really kind of digging into all the things that we hear about on the news where we wonder, you know, is this a miracle? Like I've heard people say, you know, they, they saw the face of God in the slice of bread and this is somehow <laughs> like a miracle. Um, <laughs> and I just, I really enjoyed um, certain elements of this book. I think there are things that are disturbing as far as the, the treatment of Anna and how far people are willing to let this whole thing go like just so they can figure out, you know, if this is really from God or if like doctors are doing something, you know, no one is, is ready to step in like as soon as I, I thought they should have. But this is The Wonder and it's by Demma, Emma Donahue. And I highly, highly recommend it. So my next book is not historical fiction. In fact, it's sort of a cross between urban fantasy and paranormal romance. And it is, again, yes, and it is, again, one of my favorite books of all time. And I read this series once every couple years, if not not more often, because I love it so much. But I'm only going to talk about the first book tonight, and that is Dark Fever, and that is the Fever series, book one by Karen Marie Monning. And, oh my God, what can I even say about this book? This author, especially in this book, I feel did a really amazing job painting these very vivid word pictures for us and describing this young woman, Michaela, in just such vivid, vibrant, sort of fluffy, shallow detail. And yet making her into such a likable, wonderful, relatable heroine. So the book starts with Michaela. She's sitting by her pool. She's wearing, I am not a waitress. I'm not really a waitress nail polish. She's listening to Louis Armstrong singing, What a Wonderful World. She is just so happy in her home in the South, in the sunshine. And just life is great. And she's just sort of like this little fluffy pastry of a person working as a bartender, just sort of floating her way through her magical life. Until she drops her cell phone in the pool and misses a call from her sister that changes her life forever. Because when she's finally able to go and get her phone replaced, and, you know, she's kind of ambivalent, and I'd almost go as far as to say she's a little lazy. So it takes her a few days to kind of 
mosey her way to the store to get a new phone. And when she finally does, she realizes what she's hearing is um, a message right before her sister's murder. And so her sister is studying in Ireland. And despite, despite her parents begging her not to pursue this, Michaela slash Mac decides that what she needs to do is go to Ireland and see if she can get more information from the Garda or the police about what happened to her sister, her beloved, beloved, beloved sister. So she goes to Ireland and she's exhausted and she goes into this pub in Dublin and she sees these really wackadoodle people that do not look like people and are doing very terrifying, odd things. (laughs) And an old woman yells at her and tells her to stop looking. And basically she can't believe her eyes, but she decides she's just really tired and she goes to her hotel and she tries to get information about her sister. And, you know, the police aren't very forthcoming and there's not much to know. She kind of walks into her apartment. It smells like her perfume, which was beautiful and her peach candles. And it's everything that means so much to her, but there's nothing there about her sister. But she starts noticing some strange things about Dublin, like that there's these weird, like forgotten pockets of neighborhoods that are just like no longer on maps and these big dead zones where people do not go. And one day when she's walking through Dublin, she goes to this dark and scary sort of neighborhood and ends up at this amazing, amazing bookstore that just feels like a big giant hug. And it's called Baron's Books and Baubles. And in this yes, bookstore, yes, it is. And in this bookstore, she meets Jericho Barons, this very mysterious man who is just probably top three of all time of my book boyfriends, if I'm being perfectly honest. And he just is so mysterious and he just doesn't really answer any of her questions, but he keeps kind of showing up. And so I don't want to give too much away, but I will say to you that Mac discovers that the walls between the world that she knows and the world of the Fae are not as thick as she knew, but she didn't even know there were Fae. And in fact, she didn't know that she's actually a she-seer, which means that she can see the Fae. And oh my gosh, like she's just like hashtag mind blown about all these things. And there's this hot Fae guy named Blaine who keeps like showing up and getting her all worked up, shall we say. And then there's Eric O'Barrens who is mysterious and frustrating and he kind of teaches her some things sometimes, but also she kind of feels like he has this like agenda. And then she moves into Baron's books and baubles and she lives there and works there and things begin to happen that kind of spin her life further and further out of control as she learns more about the world of the Fae and sort of her part in what's happening in Dublin at the moment. And I realize that that is probably the worst description of a book in the history of my life, but I cannot say much more about this without giving away major spoilery things. So what I will tell you is if you enjoy paranormal romance, if you enjoy urban fantasy, if you like books where the main character goes through some pretty kick-ass character growth, if you like sexy, sexy, tormented anti-heroes, if you like to read about the Fae. And most of all, if you want to read a book that 
is also a love story to Dublin and all of the beautiful chaotic things that make it a city that I want to visit. I would encourage you to pick up the Fever series by Karen Marie Monning, and that starts with Dark Fever. The first five books are so amazing. The first five books are like magic. So my next book tonight is The Searcher by Tana French. And our main character's name is Cal Hooper. And he was formerly a police officer in Chicago. And he just became weary and just didn't really, he was never looking forward to going to work. So we don't really find out why, but at the age of 48, he decides to retire and he moves to a rural Ireland. I know, so random. I'm not even sure, but we don't really find out why, but he moves to this place and he buys a cottage and he decides to renovate. So he's renovating his cottage and just getting to know his land, going for walks, just enjoying his time in the mountains, fishing, just loving his life. And as he's doing this, he kind of starts kind of getting this little tingling of somebody's watching me. So he watches and he doesn't really think there's anything to think, but then he sees this glimpse of a child. Um, they're about probably about 12, 13. So he's not too worried, but he's also obviously aware. So he's keeping his eye out. And as he is doing this, this child gets more and more comfortable. And then finally, Trey comes and introduces themselves to Cal and starts helping him with his renovations. Um, they get to know each other while they're redoing a desk, um, doing sanding. So Cal's teaching Trey about sanding, teaching them about how to like build things. So they're just kind of getting to know each other. But Cal knows that there's got to be a reason why Trey has come to him, but he doesn't really know why. So I think like a week or so goes by and they're just kind of getting to know each other slowly. And then Trey brings up what they had come to Cal for. Um, their big, their older brother has gone missing and nobody seems to care. Like the, the police, um, they're not really caring. Um, the family themselves, it's like a single mom with, I think there's like five kids and the family is not really known to be a great family. The mom kind of sleeps around and like the children, they get into trouble because they're not the most wealthy family. So they're always kind of like stealing things to get what they need. So Cal really doesn't want to, to get into this. Like he's moved to Ireland to his cottage to get away from the, all this. He doesn't want to investigate. He just wants to spend time fishing and walking in the mountains. Like that's all he wants to do. So he tells Trey this, but Trey pushes and finally convinces Cal to start asking questions. So he does this. He starts asking just random innocent questions. Um, he's got his backstory is that he wants to He's redoing his cottage and that he's heard that this um, brand, I think it's Brendan, 
I guess Brendan is very good at electric, um, is a really good electrician. So he has this backstory that he's looking for Brendan. So he starts asking around and nobody really has any, is, is really any help. They just don't really want to help. So as Cal gets more and more into this investigation, we're learning more about this small community that he's part of. And one of the things that I really like about this book is that the community itself is a character in its own. So we get to meet the different people in the community and it adds to the character of the community as a whole. Without one, if one of these people in this community, like we lose some of the character of the community, if that makes any sense. So Cal's investigating and he's asking questions and is starting to stir up things. And I'm gonna leave it there because I don't wanna give away anything, but this book, is very much like a character development book. Um, there's not a lot of, there's no real, I wouldn't say action suspense so much. It's just very much a mystery. And it's, I would call it more of like maybe a literary fiction as opposed to like my usual thrillers. So it was kind of a different book, but I liked the way that the community itself was its own character. And it added to my desire to visit Ireland someday. So this is The Searcher and it's by Tana French. I love her Dublin Murder Squad books. Um, I read Me one too. of her standalones, but I haven't read this one yet. Um, I just, I don't know. I think I'm a bigger fan of her procedurals um, than I might be of something like this. All right, so I am taking us back two days gone by and I'm talking about a very old book um this is an excess of love by Kathy Cash Spellman and I first read this in 2001 I was getting ready to travel to visit my long distance partner for the very first time um, I was super nervous and I stayed awake and read this book like pretty much the whole night before I left. So this is the story of Constance and Elizabeth Fitzgibbon. They are the daughters of kind of, I don't know, like landed gentry. Um, they're not aristocratic necessarily, but they definitely have more money than, than a lot of people. Um, you know, they're, they live in Dublin, and pretty much, you know, their, their needs are, are met without much thought. And everyone sort of assumes that these girls will grow up and make good marriages and just, you know, the, the family lines will continue. Um, you know, they'll just do what women did back at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th. But things change when Khan falls in love with a poet named Tierney O'Connor. And he is devoted to gaining Irish independence from England. And at first, you know, Khan isn't very interested in this. Like her family has always been like very staunch supporters of the British crown. 
And so Khan just doesn't have a very positive view of, you know, what she kind of terms like rebels. But as her relationship with Tierney deepens, she starts to learn things that she never knew about what it really means to be a subject of, of Britain. And this draws her deeper and deeper into the Irish struggle for independence. And it alienates her from her family. Um, it causes a lot of problems. In the meantime, Beth is kind of doing what her family expected her to. She's growing up, she's married, um, she's starting to have children and she misses her sister, but there's a piece of her that always feels like Khan has betrayed her family. And so the sisters are estranged until something very, very bad happens and Beth herself is now forced to enter the struggle in, in her own way and to reevaluate what she knew about herself, her family, her sister, and just what it means to actually be Irish. This is such a lush lyrical novel of war, of love, of sisterhood, it just has so many themes that we see over and over again in historical fiction that I feel like Spellman does such a stellar job of bringing Ireland to life on the page in a way that I hadn't seen it done, um, you know, up until that point. And this is a book I read a couple of times since that first time in 2001. Um, it's just a really special story and I highly recommend People try and find it. Um, it is still in print, but it, it might be difficult to track down. But if you're interested, definitely, you know, check your, your local library. Um, do some work to pick this up because it is definitely worth the read if historical fiction is something you love. This is An Excess of Love, and it's by Kathy Cash Spellman. So my next book tonight is one that was quite a um, surprising gem and I had no idea how much I was gonna like it. So I'm gonna talk about Painted Faces by L.H. Coseway. This book is about Frida who prefers to be called Fred and she's sort of like a socially awkward kind of unfiltered person who um, sometimes has some trouble fitting in and she, uh, is just sort of living her life when she meets her smoking hot neighbor, Nicholas. And she is like, OMG, like this is like the ideal sexy hot man. And she's very, very intrigued by him. And they hang out a lot, they become friends. And then um, Nicholas lets her know that he is, um, he has a cabaret act that he does. And she doesn't really know what that means. Frida doesn't, Fred. But she, when he invites her to go the first night, she excitedly goes. And when the curtains open on the stage, there is a beautiful woman standing there named Viv. And it is Nicholas in drag. And she is so captivated by the show that Viv puts on and the singing and the movements and just the beautiful clothes. So when... Viv asks her to be a show assistant. Fred is overjoyed to be part of this world. And 
within this sort of unconventional world of high heels and wigs and makeup and bigotry and all these other things, um, Fred and Nicholas slash Viv begin to fall very deeply in love. And this book takes place in Dublin. And it's just a really, really beautiful story about how, you know, you need to look below the surface and not judge what you see and that there can be more than one facet of a person. Um, and I feel like I've been giving you kind of short descriptions for all of my books tonight, but um, this is just a really lovely story that needs to be read and experienced to truly deeply be appreciated. Um, but it's about how two people coming together as friends and then eventually as more and how it sort of um, builds them both up and helps them to, you know, realize truths about themselves and how they, they sort of become stronger as a unit. And this again is Painted Faces by L.H. Coseway. And it is just so lovely. So if you haven't already, go forth and read. I can't remember if you talked to me about this once before I did. or if it was Sarah. Was it you? Well, Sarah read it first. I talked about it on the podcast at some point, And I don't remember what episode it was on. Um, but it just, I've never forgotten it. It was just a really, really special read that really stuck with me. Um, it's a very deep book. It's not super long, but, but Sarah read it first and she begged me to read it. So my next book tonight is The Ruin, Cormac Riley, number one by Dervla McTiernan. So our main character's name is Cormac and he has just joined the police station in Belfast. Um, he's moved there with his partner, Emma, um, for her, her job has brought them here and he decided, why not? I will move with you. Um, I'm able to do so. So he's trying to fit into this new workplace. Um, he's struggling. There's um, some, you get this feeling of, that there's some like backroom decisions happening, that there's maybe some corruption happening within the police um, and some other things as well. He has been assigned to look at cold cases. Um, this brings him to have to look back at a case that he dealt with back when he was a rookie. So in 1993, he was a rookie and he was called to the scene of a woman was found with a needle in her arm and she's dead. And she's got two children who are very malnourished. So the children's names are um, Maud, who's 15, and Jack, who is five. And Jack is so malnourished and so not doing well so they end up taking him to the hospital and his sister disappears so now we fast forward 20 years and Cormac learns that Jack has 
supposedly committed suicide. Um, he has jumped off a bridge. And now Maud has come back from, like, she was in Australia, and she has come back to help his partner to discover, like, what has happened. Because both Maud and his partner don't believe that he actually committed suicide. So while this is happening, Cormac, as I said, is looking into cold cases. And he has been asked to actually investigate the supposed suicide of um, Maud and Jack's mother from back in 1993. So as I said, like he's he's having he's finding it tough to investigate because there's a lot of stuff that's happening within the station that's kind of getting in the way. And I'm sorry, guys, but that is where I must leave you. So this is The Ruin. It's Cormac Riley, number one, and it's by Dervla McTiernan. And if I'm not incorrect, there's three books to this series so far. And I read, I think it was The Scholar is the next one. Yes. And I thought it was really good as well. So I haven't read the, the third one, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. I haven't read the third one either. I also haven't read, there's a couple of novellas that slot Is in there? between. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. There's one called oh, The I Sisters. Okay. And I think there's one other one. Okay, so my next pick is once again historical, but it is historical fantasy. This is Daughter of the Forest. It is Seven Waters, book one by Juliette Marillier. And this is everything that is lush and lovely about ancient Ireland. Like all the things that we sort of know from like folk tales. Um, it, it's all just woven into this book. This is a retelling of Hans Christian Andersen's Wild Swans or 12 Swans. I think it is 12 Wild Swans um, fairy tale. So this is the story of Sorka, and she is the youngest daughter of the Lord of Seven Waters. And she has six older brothers, and they all kind of dote on her, right? Like, you know, they, they protect her, they pamper her, and she's just very much like the beloved youngest child. Now, this is fine until her father decides to remarry. And the woman that he chooses to be his wife is not great, right? Like they, Sorka doesn't like her, her brothers don't like her, but the father seems to be really under her spell. And I mean that quite literally because pretty early on you find out that this woman is actually like a sorceress and oh. she has very, very ill intent. So when people threaten to, you know, go to their father about all their misgivings about this woman, she casts a spell upon the brothers and turns them into swans. Oh, and now Sorka doesn't know what to do. Like she's alone now with her father and this like nasty stepmother that she has. And 
you know, she wants to save her brothers, but she doesn't really know how, obviously. So she goes into the forest and she finds a woman who is kind of like a member of the Fae, I guess. Like it doesn't come out and say that, but that's what I, I would assume that she was. And she sets Sorka upon a quest. And if she completes this quest, then she will be able to save her brothers. Now, there's a problem, like one among many, um, but she cannot speak, not a single word can she speak until her quest is completed. And this is a quest that is supposed to take like years. And so really, I'm guessing this lady of the forest like doesn't really believe that Sorka will be able to do this. And Sorka isn't really sure that she will. So I'm not going to tell you what the quest is. Um, but if you're familiar with the fairy tale, you may have a little bit of an idea. Um, this is all complicated because, you know, certainly it's not complicated enough. When Sorka is kidnapped by enemies of her family and she's taken across the sea. So now she's trying to complete this quest while she's like miles and miles from home. And in the wake of all of this despair, she meets a man who she falls in love with. And now she doesn't know which should triumph. Like, should she remain silent, complete this quest and save her brothers? Should she kind of give in to the feelings of her heart? Or is there a way for her to do both? This is the first book in an epic series. I first read it, um, gosh, it's another one that I read probably 20 years ago. And it, there were only three books out at the time. Now there are six. And I really want to go back and like reread this whole series and see how, how the later books add to the story. It's a long read. Um, if you get it in audio, it's about 25 hours, the first book. And the subsequent books um, are pretty, pretty equal in length, I think. Um, but this is, is wonderful is a fairy tale retelling but it feels very much like a story that that stands on its own um, even if you're not familiar with the fairy tale there's a lot to love here this is daughter of the forest seven waters book one by Juliet marillier oh, this is on my tbr and i keep forgetting to read it because there's so many things on my oh, tbr so yes but it's so lovely my final book of the evening is one that brought me such joy as I was reading it. It was, again, I, I already said this tonight. It's kind of annoying when I sound like a broken record, but it's, again, kind of for me an unexpected gem. It's What the Wind Knows by Amy Harmon. This book is about Anne Gallagher. And Anne, at the beginning of the book, is not doing at all well. Her beloved grandfather has just passed away and she's just not coping well with his loss. She just feels very cast adrift and all she can think about are all the stories he told her about his beloved Ireland. So she decides she's going to go to Ireland and she's going to scatter his ashes near where he grew up. And, and that's just, she's hoping that that will kind of help 
bring her some closure because she's just sort of kind of moving through her life on autopilot and she's just really, really, really sad. So she goes to Ireland to this beautiful town that sort of strikes notes of familiarity in her soul. And she just really likes it. And it just is such a beautiful place. And she meets some really kind people and she's just sort of kind of enjoying being there. But finally it's time for her to do the task that has brought her to Ireland. And so she goes out on the lake in a boat on a beautiful day with her grandfather's ashes and she casts them upon the waters and she says some kind things, thinks about her grandfather. And suddenly she's in the midst of like a crazy storm and she's like, oh my gosh, like what just happened? And she's swept from the boat. And when she wakes again, Anne Gallagher hasn't just been swept ashore. Oh no. She's been swept back in time to the Ireland of 1921. Holy crap. What do you do with that? What do you do when you wake up in a bed, in a house, with this man who is a doctor, and he's telling you that you're in the middle of 1921? And what do you do when you wake up in this strange place and you meet this boy that feels like you know him that feels so familiar to you. What do you do then when the people around you assume that you are the long lost mother of this child? 1921 in Ireland was not the greatest year to be swept back to. It was very, that time was very fraught. It was in the midst of when Ireland was trying to gain independence. There were many, many skirmishes, lots of fighting. And Anne, in the midst of all this upheaval, is falling in love with a doctor and a child and longing with all of her heart to become part of the fabric of their world, even knowing that she is sort of an interloper in a time that is not her own. And I love everything. Um, Amy Harmon is just an amazing writer. She um, does a lot with, uh, when she writes a historical novel, she puts an amazing amount of research into it. And so when you're reading about the places they visit, the situations that they're in, the clothing, everything is so meticulously researched. It just really adds to the experience of reading the book. It's so lushly detailed. And, you know, there was a description of a general store in the town back in 1921, where Anne ends up. And it just was so detailed. Um, and it's been a little while since I read it, but I was just saying to Shannon, I feel like they even like, she even describes like the type of like tooth powder that was used in 1921 for oral hygiene. And I just, I don't know. I really love this book a lot. It was really beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's a love story. That's, it's sort of a gentle romance, which isn't usually um, my favorite thing, but it worked really well. And I'm not going to tell you how this book ends. I'm not going to tell you if Anne Gallagher and Dr. Thomas Smith are able to get there happily ever after. You'll have to read What the Wind Knows by Amy Harmon to find this out. I was so surprised. It's time travel at its finest. It is. And I was so surprised by it because I'm used to like these deeply emotional, but like very realistic stories from Amy Harmon. Yes. 
And so time travel like kind of blew my mind at first. I'm like, well, like I have to be sort of in, in the right mood for it. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. Like, what if I don't like it? And then, of course, because it's Amy Harmon and I love her so incredibly much, just on like a normal day of my life, um, <laughs> I did decide to to pick this up. And I'm so glad I did. So my last book tonight is 56 Days by Catherine Ryan Howard. So this book is kind of told from three perspectives and it kind of goes back and forth. So we learn, we are viewing the story from the perspectives of Sierra, Owen, and a detective named Lee, Detective Lee. So Sierra and Owen, they meet in a grocery store. Um, little does Sierra know, but Owen had actually become aware of her several days prior. And he was kind of like, they were kind of both in a way, like watching each other. I'm not really sure if they kind of mm -hmm. had this feeling that they, there was some kind of backstory or like, do you know, like when you have some kind of connection, you're just kind of like, I don't know where I know that person from, but that's the kind of like the feeling you get. So they end up going out for coffee. Um, and so we're now kind of, they get, they're like chatting, getting to know each other. And they kind of figure out that there's a bit of, they kind of want to get to know each other a little bit more. So we also, as I said, we also see the perspective of the detective, um, her and her partner named Carl, they've been called out to the scene of a death. Um, a neighbor has called to say that there's like a not very nice smell coming from an apartment across the hall from her. Oof. And she... You. <laughs> <laughs> so they discover a, the, dead, the deceased um, occupant. So we find out. Um, and the person has been dead for probably about two weeks. Oh, Lord. Lovely. I know, eh? So, as I said, we're back now, 56 days, and um, we're at the beginning of this kind of getting to know this relationship between Sierra and Owen, and they're kind of getting to know each other. But at the same time, this is also when COVID is starting in the world. And at first, when I learned that this book was going to really kind of have COVID as a very kind of a pretty important part of the plot line in that it kind of like sets the stage for the setting of like why they some decisions are made. Um, I wasn't totally sure because um, you just never know, right? But I really felt that she used the pandemic well. And that she, she was very realistic about things. So I thought that was really cool. So 
as they're getting to know each other, um, the restrictions are starting to get tighter and tighter. Um, Owen feels that there's something in Sierra's, um, like something to her story, that there's some things that are kind of lining up and other things that are, might not be. Um, Sierra's kind of feeling the same about Owen's background, because there's some things that he'll say and then some things that kind of make her wonder if maybe he's not quite going, like being straight with her. Um, I can't really be specific because like if I give you anything away, like I'll totally be spoiler. So they're getting to know each other. And as I said, the COVID restrictions are tightening. So now we're at about 35 days. Um, And it's now been declared that there's going to be like a curfew and like you're only allowed to hang out with people in your like immediate household. So them having this new relationship. Yeah, they've only known each other for a few weeks and they don't really want to get, like they don't want to stop getting to know each other, but at the same time, they want to follow the rules. And Owen has told, as far as Sierra knows, Owen also has really bad asthma. Um, She's never seen him use an inhaler and never seen an inhaler around but it is something that he says she ha- that, he's, that he has. So he's very careful about like, when she comes over, he makes sure she like washes her hands and asks her if she's been around people. Like, he, like it's kind of neat to see how she, he'll ask all these questions because these are totally things that like us as having people over, we might ask similar questions. So he asks all these questions. So they decide that they're going to, um, Owen decides to ask Sierra if she would like to come and spend two weeks with him. And she's like, well, I'll get to know you better and we won't have any of our family interacting. And Owen, he's got, there's some things in his background that he doesn't really want to come out yet. He's hoping that after two weeks of spending time with Sierra, that once he actually tells her his story that she'll like him enough and have gotten to know him well enough that she'll kind of forgive him for what happened in the past. Ooh. I know. Eh? And as I said, at the same time, the detective, like we're also seeing the perspective of the detective and her and Carl are trying to her and the other detective are trying to discover like what has happened, like what happened to this person um, why did it happen? And we're also learning about the stories. Um, I found it confusing at times when it went back and forth between um, the different time periods. So like the present and then going back to tell more of their story. Um, at times it was a little bit, you kind of got a little bit of repetition between hearing um, where the detectives learn about each of their stories and then also when then themselves are kind of like telling their story. So I thought that was, but overall, like I really, really enjoyed how this book was done and I definitely recommend it. I'm going to leave it there because as I said, I don't want to give anything away, but this is 56 Days and it's by Catherine Ryan Howard.
this novel intrigues me um, because I think like the pandemic and the lockdowns, especially in the beginning part of COVID, I think lend themselves really well to a story like this. And I'm interested to see kind of how she, you know, how she makes it work. Okay, so my last book tonight is not a historical. We are going to present day Ireland. Um, this is Northern Spy, and it's by Flynn Berry. Um, this is billed as like a crime novel. And I, I don't know that I 100% agree with that. Like there are a lot of things that you don't know as the story unfolds, but it didn't feel like suspenseful to me in the way that I would expect something that is like a, a crime, you know, mystery novel um, to feel. So this is another story about sisters. We have Tessa and Marion. And when the novel starts, like we don't have a lot of background on either of these women. Tessa is, she works with the BBC and Marion is, you don't really know what Marion does. Supposedly she has gone on a trip and she is by the seaside. She spoke with Tessa a couple of days prior, seems to be having a really great time. You know, things seem to be going really well for Marion. Tessa is, she likes her job. You know, there are some things that she might want to change, but that's pretty standard, she figures. Like her life isn't any better or any worse than anyone else's. So she is at work and she sees a news story coming across, you know, people are reporting on it. And there was a robbery at this gas station. And it is believed to be a terrorist attack by the IRA. So now she is watching like they're, you know, the, the authorities are investigating this, they're asking the public to help them. And they want them to help locate the people that were responsible for this crime. And so they start showing pictures. Well, one of the pe people that they show is Marion. And you can see her like putting a face mask on and she's, you know, getting ready to go into this gas station. She goes in, she assists in this robbery. And this makes absolutely no sense to Tessa because like, you know, her sister's on vacation and this gas station is nowhere near where Marion is supposed to be. So the police are pretty sure that they know what happened, right? Like they think that Marion is involved with the IRA um, and that she basically, if not planned this, like certainly, you know, was a, an integral part of carrying it out. And Tessa just can't, can't hear this. Um, and so she starts looking for all these other like, possible reasons why her sister was in this place and why she was helping carry out this crime. And at first, you know, you're pretty sure as the reader that you know kind of how this goes. As the story unfolds, you realize that there are a lot of things that you, along with, with Tessa and the police, like just don't know. Um, this looks into what Irish people refer to as the trouble and examines kind of that whole rift between Catholics and Protestants 
and, you know, the North and the South and why even today, you know, so long after a lot of us, like, you know, stopped hearing about war in Ireland, civil war, um, you know, how this is, is still going on and how it's affecting the day-to-day lives of just average citizens. At its core, I would say this is another novel about sisterhood, but it's also about the contemporary struggles of the Irish people. So this, once again, is Northern Spy by Flynn Berry, and I really appreciated the perspective um, of, you know, seeing this in modern day instead of in a period in history, you know, that has passed a long time ago. And that wraps up this episode on books set in Ireland. Thank you to Stacy and Brooke for participating this evening. As always, thanks goes out to Christine for all of her editing. And we thank each and every one of you so very much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.